the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Let's be honest, the container sector is no stranger to irrational exuberance. The last time we had an overcapacity market from 2016 to 2019, we saw nine of the top 20 carriers disappear in the space of two and a half years, a period that saw carriers losing money on nearly every box they were moving. And as one of today's guests points out, that was scary. But the only thing scarier than shipping lines with no money is shipping lines with money. The box sector is going through something of a reset at the moment, but it's doing so with pretty hefty war chests in play. Freight rates have fallen sharply as demand has slumped. A flood of new tonnage is joining the global fleet at a time when carriers are being encouraged to remove capacity from the market, putting further pressure on both rates and reliability. So it's no surprise then that several of the lines are warning that earnings this year are set to fall sharply. But this is more than a cyclical downturn. There are very few certainties and some wildly different strategic approaches being set out to deal with what happens next. When the container set gathered for their annual conflab at TPM last week, it was notable that the keynote speaker was not one of the big beasts of the box boardrooms, but a retired general and former CIA director, David Petraeus, who issued a pretty stark warning that the era of benign globalisation, as he put it, was over, and that the expectation that shipping could see the same levels of growth that it was used to was irrational in the context of a changing world. There was lots of talk about how tensions in the Asia-Pacific region threatens to overturn the logic of globalisation. Container shipping is looking increasingly nervously at the big macroeconomic and geopolitical uncertainties that will ultimately decide their fate. So, in the wake of TPM, I wanted to take a quick top-level look at how the container sector is faring against the backdrop of a post-pandemic slowdown, and some of the longer-term questions about the future of globalisation. And I'm going to start with our own crack squad of box boffins who were out at TPM bothering the container sector's movers and shakers. So let's start with our containers editor, James Baker, and his view on the current state of the market. Well, I don't think anyone accepts it, uh, would, would claim it's, it's in a good place. Um, there seem to be two, two trains of thought. One is that um, accepting that it's, it's all gone horribly wrong now, but that there will be a recovery in demand and therefore likely freight rates in the second half of the year. Um, the other school of thought is that that's wishful thinking um, and that it's all gone horribly wrong and it's going to take quite a long time to recover. Um, we're obviously in a situation where you know, demand has pretty much fallen off a cliff since the we had, we had the, the heyday of the pandemic, but by the second half of last year, that was drifting off as economic conditions became more, more difficult around the world. And um, But it's coincided with a, a flood of new buildings that are about to enter the market and a, a bunch of new capacity. Um, and that just puts the supply and demand situation completely out of whack. So I think we're looking at, at you know, certainly the first six, six months of the year and very likely the full year of pretty, pretty reduced earnings for the container carriers. Toma Ranan, our US correspondent, is the new boy on the team. It was his first TPM. He was quite taken by the fact that a lot of the talk wasn't shipping specific, but in fact focused on the macro and geopolitical concerns that are really affecting some of the thinking in shipping right now. I think we all seen the effect that Russian invasion of Ukraine had on uh, on global trade and you know energy markets and tankers. But 
there was another, there's a very interesting talk by uh, Bruce Jones of Brookings Institutes about how an escalation in the Pacific between the US and China um, could affect globalization. Uh, I mean, introduced some very interesting concept of, you know, globalization is sort of this commercial logic that just makes sense. But there's also the logic of control of the seas, which, um, without wanking too much into geopolitics. So the US has been the the dominant global power uh, and the dominant naval power since World War II. And by doing that, it also is the guarantor of, of safe and free trade, uh, not out of the kindness of its heart. It also aligns with its interests, obviously. Uh, but that position is sort of challenged increasingly by China, who also has economies that is highly reliant on maritime trade. Um, and what he was warning about is of uh, what he called a extremely unstable arms race in the Pacific um, and sort of the effect that even an escalation that doesn't initially, uh, maybe later on, but even even the case that it doesn't initially escalate into a full-blown war will just change the trans-Pacific trade or probably just global trade. General Petraeus made quite an interesting point about um, what he got. He described as uh, slow globalization. That global trade is not going to end, but there is the, the rapid growth that has basically propped up and, and created the container shipping industry, and which container shipping has supported over the last thirty or forty, fifty years, is now sort of winding down a bit. And you know, we've all seen sort of these these discussions about nearshoring or reshoring um, China plus one. Um, it's, you know, we're not seeing an end of, of, of box shipping or box shipping demand, but there are going to be a lot of changes. I think the, you know, we're going to see new trade lanes emerging, particularly out of Southeast Asia. You know, we had the news last week, I think it was, that um, you know, Foxconn, which is making the chips for Apple, is shifting a whole bunch of production to India. Now, that's a whole new sort of market for for container shipping. So, you know, there will be changes, there will, you know, the growth that we've not, that we've seen in, in the past and have come to expect is probably not going to be there again. And this is going to be, you know, an issue going forward, the, this straight line growth that we seem to have had with the fleet, with, with volumes. I think we're going to see something of a tapering of that for, for quite some time to come. So that's going to be an interesting change. The way in which carriers are responding to this evolving new normal is actually pretty interesting, and it's not at all aligned. As James points out, there are some boldly divergent strategies on show right now. Yeah, we look at the way, you know, the the number of the big companies are very much sort of, I mean, you've got examples like Mertz, which is obviously shaken up the whole business and decided it's going to be an end-to-end logistics integrator. It doesn't want to be reliant on ocean shipping because it doesn't see that as being a growth market for it. Um, Then you've got MSC, which is obviously still really focused on the the shipping side. And yet it's made major investments outside of shipping. You've got its it's investments in Bellori in Africa. Uh, It's it's buying towage, tug operators, all sorts of other businesses. It's a Great diversification. CMA CGM, we just saw in their results last week. Um, you know, it was a pretty grim fourth quarter, as everyone would expect it. But that was propped up by its ports business, by its air freight business, by its um, its logistics businesses. So, you know, I mean, it's not to say everybody's doing it. There's still a lot of end-to-end shipping. But, yeah, diversification is, is looking like a relatively smart move rather than relying simply on 
um, you know, port to port surfaces. Alan Murphy is going to be a familiar voice to any of the box fraternity listening, but to the uninitiated, Alan is an endless fountain of container context. Looking at the near-term prospects for the lines, he sees no shortage of challenges ahead. Well, the big question, are we post-pandemic now or not? Um, are we back to normal? And what does normal look like? Um, that That's the overarching theme. And... and on, on most metrics, we're on the path back to what it looked like pre-pandemic. Um, we still have a major issue with um, uh, capacity being lost in, in congestion. There's still some disruptions, but we're, we're slowly coming back to normal. Uh, vessel reliability is, is unfortunately still quite poor. Where we've basically crossed the 50% mark. The industry standard prior to the pandemic was a schedule reliability of around 75%, which in itself was never very impressive, uh, but we're still quite far short of, uh, uh, of, of getting back to the levels of reliability that we saw in the past. Um, so, so what's going to define uh, container shipping for, for the coming years? Well, the first challenge we, we have is that the carriers have far too much capacity on stream as it is right now. Now, they, they scaled up quickly um, to, to, to the top of the pandemic, and um, a few lines have commented that 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 was a they they did everything they could and they did um they they multi-purpose vessels that normally would plow uh, uh, West Africa were drawn into the Trans-Pacific trade. Anything that could float was thrown at the Trans-Pacific, um, and 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 every every. <laughs> vessel, even a few that probably shouldn't be sailing anymore, uh, were deployed uh, into the trace. Now, that was not an act of altruism. That was a question of the freight rates were 10 times what they used to be. So so I don't give the carriers much credit for, for running to a market that's, that's, that's throwing tons of cash at them. Um, but it also meant that, that as we've now come down, we've, we've seen volumes uh, on the Trans-Pacific contract, 23% um, year and year in the last four months of, of 22. The latest data just came out for container trade statistics. Uh, the, the, the contraction has continued into to 23. Um, so volumes are down quite considerably from, from where they were in the pandemic. Um, and, and the carriers are they're doing what they can to to balance supply against uh, the the dwindling demand um, but they're not they're not moving as fast down with capacity as, as volumes are falling down and and the result of that is quite obvious that we've seen a complete collapse in freight rates um, and and so we have far too much capacity still on stream um, the carriers have not yet taken the hard cuts that are necessary they've not closed down wholesale large range of services which would be needed um and laid up vessels what they've done instead is is sporadic and somewhat panicky cancelling blanking of sailings um which uh, blank sailings has always been a tool for the shipping lines to tactically manage capacity um but it used to be something that would be Plan with some level of, of foresight. So at least preferably six, eight, ten weeks out, you would announce blank sailing. Now we're seeing two to three weeks out, um, and they are blanking tons of sailings. So while reliability is slightly improving, the stability of services, uh, and it's often forgotten that line of service is not just a provision of, of, a, of, of moving cargo from port, port A to port B. It's port A to B on a fixed schedule. 
And that's gone out the window. So we're more tramped than we're liner nowadays. Um, and that's unfortunately probably where we, uh, we're headed in for the next few years. Far too much capacity. The carrier's not taking the hard cuts um, as they should do to capacity and laying up vessels. We've got nine more of capacity, 9% more of, of capacity coming on stream next year, another 10% coming on the next year. So we're looking at a market that's going to be very heavy on oversupply. Um, and I was quoted quite a few times now for for, for saying, which which is my, my honest truth. Um, it was very scary the last time we had an overcapacity market, which was in 2016 um, to 2019. We saw of the top 20 carriers, nine disappeared in the span of two and a half years. Um, um, and it was a, a time where the carriers, they were... They were losing money nearly on every box that they were moving, um, and that was scary. But the only thing that scares me more, as I said a few times, is is than shipping lines without money is shipping lines with money, um, because they're now they've got full war chests. They're ready to 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 duke it out in a rate war, as we saw in 2015, 2016, and onwards from there. Um, they are ordering vessels even though they have far too many and they they look up the value chain and say well now we want to be logistics companies um and and maybe maybe that's a strategy but maybe a strategy would be to you know invest in the core business of moving containers from point a to b preferably on time all of which is very interesting context for the shippers many of the containerized customers still feel pretty aggrieved at the way they were treated during the pandemic now that the shoe is on the other foot, they intend to do some kicking with it. Of course, then they have the regulators looking at them fairly hard, given the extremities of the market seen of late, all of which adds up to some interesting challenges for the lines. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, it has not been a good two or three years for, for shippers. There is a lot of bad blood out there. To be fair, they, you know, it, shippers in an awkward position that, Yep, there's a lot of anger. They could go out and and sort of bash the carriers. At the same time, they also need the relationships the same way the carrier needs the relationship. Um, this is all going to play out over the next couple of months when we start to see you know how things settle into the the annual contracts, particularly on the Trans Pacific. Um, you know the rates are going way way down. We've heard from you know back channels from one carrier that you know we're looking at twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollars on the um, eastbound. West Coast, Trans-Pacific, um, and not that much more onto, onto the East Coast. Um, but, you know, it's easy to sort of, uh, you know, uh, throw out the baby with the bathwater and have a, you know, try and get some revenge on the carriers. At the same time, you're still going to need that capacity. And the next time things get tight, the next thing, thing, next time things go wrong, you're going to want to have a relationship with that carrier. So, yeah, but... Um, uh, there is that. It's going to be, like I said, it is going to be a much tougher year. I mean, all the carriers have, have uh, their forecasts for this year. The ones that do publish forecasts are putting in much reduced forecasts for earnings. Um, and yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, Toma can speak on the on the regulatory um, the side of it, particularly from the, the effects of OSRA and, and so on in the, in the US. But there is going to be a lot more regulatory pressure on them. So given all this, given all of the challenges that lie ahead, what are the best case and the worst case scenarios for the contain lines right now? Most would shy away from such questions, but Alan, no, he will bravely go where others fear to tread and decided to give me a fairly robust answer. The best case for them is that that 
they managed to cover their costs over the next few years. Um, the shipping lines are, have historically never been able to to charge more than than marginal cost in an overcapacity market. Um, and if they can do that, then they'll be okay because they they do have war chests for full of money. Um, so so the optimal play for the shipping lines is to remove 10, 15% of the the capacity as they did in 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 2010 following the financial crisis in 2008 it hit our industry in 2009 and 2010 prior to the pandemic 2010 uh, was the best year for container shipping because uh, we saw a slight improvement in in demand um but the carriers are taking out vast amounts of capacity and it took a long time to reactivate that capacity so for them to have um I say compensatory rates uh, over the next coming years. It will require them to lay up considerable amounts of, of vessels, not just hot layups, but cold layups. Turn off the engine, stick them up in Scottish locks like they did in 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 2010. Now, if they do that, um, freight rates would probably be at a slight cost plus to 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 to, to costs, um, and the 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 shipping lines will not be making tons of money, but they will be breaking even. Um, that's unfortunately for the ship lines, not the very likely case. The likely case is that they will continue because it's a wait and see game. Um, if you remove capacity, you're paying, but everybody else is benefiting. Um, so no shipping line really wants to lay up vessels. They don't want. That's also why they're playing this wait and see game with the blank sailings and and announced them so late. It's because they're hoping that some of their competitors will pull capacity so they don't have to. Um, so so more than likely, what we're going to see is for the next two, possibly three years, is is an overcapacity market where freight rates they will they will be at marginal cost. So they'll cover their operating expenses, but the capital expenses will not be covered. Um, as we saw in 2015 and 2016, where spot rates on the East-West trades dropped down to $200, $300. You could go from Shanghai to Santos in Brazil for $99 in February of 2016, um, which, of course, by no means even covers operating expenses. Um, so that's unfortunately what we're looking for uh, for, for, for shippers. It sounds brilliant that you'll have um, bottom barrel freight rates. Um, they they probably won't go quite as low as 2016. The bottom will be slightly higher because the cost base is slightly higher, um, especially bunker. Um, low sulfur uh, bunker is, is more expensive than the old HFO. Um, so we'll probably see spot rates I'd say somewhere around, you know, 30, 40% above where they were in 2015, 2016. And how long this lasts is just how long will the carriers bear the pain until they pull enough capacity. We're not seeing um, demand suddenly springing back and and, and uh, volumes just coming out of nowhere in the next couple of years. We're probably looking at a, a slowdown in the global economy, which is also going to have an, a slowdown effect, a uh, dimension effect on, on, on container demand. So, um for shippers it will mean that rates will be well certainly lower than the were in pandemic and probably also lower than the were pre-pandemic um but because the carriers will not be pulling the capacity needed in a in a long-term fashion but instead do this last minute tactical capacity management we're going to see continued blank sailings so relatively low reliability but stability of services will be probably be quite terrible for the next couple of years. And you thought I was going to end on a positive note, didn't you? 
Well, sorry about that. I can promise you that I will be back next week with an extended special edition of the podcast for you that promises to be required listening, if not entirely positive. My thanks to Alan, James and Toma for this week's insight. And thank you for listening. Have a good week. Thank you.